Thanks for tuning in. Ham Talk Live will be on the air shortly. Please stand by. Thanks for tuning in. Ham Talk Live will be on the air shortly. Please stand by. This episode of Ham Talk Live is brought to you by Tower Electronics. For connectors, cables, and more, call 920-435-2973 or visit pl-259.com. Here's the snap. Rap takes the rig. He breaks through the pileup. He's on 80. Now 40. Now 20. 15. 10. 2 meters. Touchdown. Ham Talk Live. It's Ham Radio with Neil Rapp. Here we go. Welcome to Ham Talk Live. Call in. Let's talk. Neil's your guy. Ham Talk Live. Here we go on Ham Talk Radio. And a good evening, everyone. It's Ham Talk Live, episode number 89. The Puerto Rico Disaster Communications trip with Val in V9L. Recorded live on Thursday, November 9th, 2017. I'm your host, Neil Rapp, WB9VPG, and thanks for tuning in to this episode of Ham Talk Live. Tonight we're joined by Val Hotsfeld in V9L, and we'll take your calls live in a few minutes. Last week here on the show, Don Greenbaum in one DG was here to talk about the Baker Island de-expedition. And if you missed that, check it out over at hamtalklive.com or on a podcasting app like um, Stitcher or Apple Podcasts, iHeart Podcasts, Google Play, TuneIn SoundCloud. We're also over on YouTube. So you can check those out uh, whenever you can. So uh, after a while, we will uh, take your calls. I'll go ahead and give you the phone number, but we're not ready for calls just yet. Um, it's 812-NET-HAM-1. That's 812-638-4261. Or you can Skype us. Uh, we're Ham Talk Live on Skype. You can also tweet us. Our Twitter handle is at Ham Talk Live. So you can... Uh, Reach us that way, and we're going to talk to Val for a little bit first, and then uh, we'll take some uh, questions from you all. So, uh, hope to uh, to talk to you and uh, and interact with uh, with you tonight. Uh, we're on the air every Thursday night, 9 p.m. Eastern time, right here at HamTalkLive.com, and check us out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And we're just about, I think, ten away from a thousand uh, on Facebook. So. Uh, be sure to like us over on Facebook. Well, Valerie NV9L um, is with us tonight. She is originally from Wisconsin and now resides in Illinois. Uh, Val is a co-host on the video podcast Ham Nation, where she uh, usually contributes information about DXing and contesting. Uh, Valerie is one of the most noted YLs in the hobby and spends most of her weekends on the air working contests along with her fiancé, Jerry, WB9Z. 
Um, she's a member of many DX and contesting clubs and an ARRL volunteer examiner. Um, she's also been the North American pilot station for Amsterdam Island back in 2014, uh, Wake Island in t- 2013, and Swain Island uh, in 2012. And I believe uh, Bouvet is, is coming up here soon that she'll be piloting as well. Um, besides her ham radio obsession, uh, she enjoys camping, traveling, hiking, fishing, bowling, gardening, and baking if, if she has time left over to do all of that and just a couple of weeks ago she returned from puerto rico where she was working on a team doing some disaster communication so val thanks for coming back on ham talk live well thanks for having me neil uh, glad to be back and you know i were you ever in uh, radio broadcasting or something you've got that great radio voice okay i, was, I can tell. yes yeah, it, it was it was kind of a temporary gig, but I, I did a few years of that, and that's actually um, when I wanted to start doing talk radio, and instead it was country. It was it was uh. playing country music. So if I would play the song backwards, <laughs> I would get my dog back. The truck would start running again. The sun it, would it was, come you know, out. Was, yeah, the sun would come out. You know, my wife came back, and and and, and everything was great. So, um, yeah, I, I did the I did the broadcasting thing for a while, and uh, it was, yeah, it was fun. But I, I didn't stay in it. Me too. I was on uh, WGFA, World's Greatest Farming Area, so a lot of farm reports and soil temperatures and rain gauge reports. <laughs> there we go. There we go. We we had a guy. We had a guy that did the the hog reports, and, and it kind of <laughs> reminds me of, of Les Nestman yeah. on WKRP. But we, we had this guy that, that, that did Gary Gary Truitt. could fly. Yes. <laughs> It's about time to watch that episode, too. I always have to watch that one right before Thanksgiving. But uh, there was this guy, Gary Truitt, who who would always do the, the hog reports. And, and uh, we would always run those. And I was like, oh, um, okay. All right. I, I'll, I'll get through it. <laughs> well, we're here to talk a little bit about the uh, the Puerto Rico trip. And, and this was a really unique uh, opportunity. Um, so first of all, uh, you've, you've been on, um, uh, of course, ham nation talking about this and, and there's been some shows that have been talking about this. And one of the things I, that you talked about was how you applied for the position. I wanted to go a little deeper with that. Um, and, and how the selection process took place, whatever you know about that, but you said you actually applied for this in your car. Well, we had we were at Sedco, uh, W4DXCC, down in Pigeon Forge that weekend. We were in the car driving back Sunday, and I saw that they had posted they were looking for volunteers. And I was just on the heels of uh, volunteering. My son and I went down for Hurricane Harvey uh, doing small animal rescue, and I kind of got hooked. Um, and so when I saw that, I asked Jerry if I could go, and uh, he said, sure. So I applied in the car uh, Sunday afternoon. Uh, probably somewhere between Tennessee and Illinois. And um, I led with my uh, my ICS certs and my ARIES training and um, just different things like that that were pertinent um, to the mission, my WinLink knowledge. And uh, the next morning, Sunday Monday morning, I got a call from uh, Mike Corey at the ARRL. He kind of did a phone screening um, and kind of just kind of went over some of those things, you know, and... Um, 
you know, can I do this? Can I do that? And all that. And uh, so I must have passed the phone screen because <laughs> later that afternoon, the ARRL ran a full background check and a credit report, I guess, on all of us. And by Tuesday, uh, I had my marching orders to fly out Wednesday. So it happened very fast. Yeah, it, it sounded like it was a really quick uh, uh, opportunity to, to throw together and try to, to make it all work. And I'm amazed that uh, they were able to, to get all those checks done. But uh, with with any kind of government thing like, like me teaching, um, you know, we got to run background checks on a guest speaker. So, you know, we got <laughs> to have all that uh, all that paperwork in hand. Well, I was really impressed because not. I think I found out from Mike Corey that a or the Red Cross contacted the AWRL Friday evening, wanting to put this team together, and so they had to have a an emergency conference call Saturday. Said go for it. And Sunday they put out the call, and then they had to order all that equipment, the Pelican cases, put all that stuff together, and have it waiting for us in Atlanta on Wednesday. So I think it's pretty amazing how both agencies moved to get this going you know usually i pictured them to you know people agencies to move a lot slower yeah yeah this was a a very quick uh, thing and uh and and that's how it goes a lot of times uh whenever you get on um you know one of these uh, disaster relief or disaster assessment teams uh, you never really know what's going to happen um, so you were called on um to do some things uh down there and and as yeah, the the disaster assessments and and things that I've been on, you, you never had a clue <laughs> what what you were going to end up doing, um, and oh. usually there's there's no plan at all. <laughs> well, I mean, the plan originally was to do safe and well traffic with uh, the Red Cross, go out with their teams of Red Cross workers, and to uh, put into the spreadsheet the people in that town that were safe and well. And then we would upload that via WinLink, and it would end up in the uh, Red Cross Safe and Well database. But um, very quickly upon arriving, um, that mission was changed pretty quickly um, because there was no communications on the island. I mean, we had to land an international airport on a jetliner. There was 164 of us Red Cross workers on this plane uh, at an uncontrolled airport. And I've taken flying lessons. It's scary when you're flying in a little Cesta to land at a rinky-dinky uncontrolled airport. But um, so, I mean, we were one of the first people down there. Uh, so, you know, Duke's, you know, there was hitch, definitely a few hiccups, lots of hiccups, but that was to be expected because sure. nothing on this scale had ever happened before. So, yeah, you know, you, you never know what's going to hit. And, and, and as soon as you get down there, it's like, OK, no, we really need this. <laughs> and so exactly. that's what you did. So, I mean, you, you even had important. some other stuff going on, like, you know, uh, I know you had to switch over to the hospitals after a while. And then yeah. and, and you actually on your day off, I know you guys uh, just actually went and delivered some stuff. Well, when they started to passing out assignments to everybody, I sort of got assigned to do the administrative stuff. So I didn't really get to go out in the field uh, and get deployed out in the action, you know. And I was stuck at the uh, – well, not stuck, I should say. But I was at the convention center without a vehicle, you know, and uh, just kind of – that's where I, I slept on the first floor and worked on the third floor. And a lot of meetings, a lot of paper pushing, a lot of forms and, you know, things to fill out and uh, – 
trying to find the right people to get this done or that done. So there was just a lot of that, you know. So it wasn't really the sexy part of the de- of the, <laughs> of the activation, you know. Um, but it was very interesting. I really learned a lot. Um, I definitely have lots of ideas on how things can be uh, tweaked and uh, made better going forward. Um, not just from our division, but from other divisions. I mean, I, I was kind of shocked like FEMA didn't have any kind of um, uh, ticketing software. So, like, we'd get a call for generator fuel at this hospital or oxygen tanks or, you know, whatever they needed. And we'd put that in request in and then you'd ne- they'd say, okay, we got it. And we, we forwarded it on. And then that's all we'd hear from them, you know. So, we didn't know if it actually had been taken care of. Um, so, things like that. There's a lot of, you know, things that could be different, I guess. Yeah, and we'll we'll talk about some of that stuff, but um, <clears throat> every opportunity um, is a learning opportunity. So <laughs> there were definitely, some things that can definitely. can definitely be learned from from this one. Well, uh, I know you've got tons and tons and tons of stories, and already you said the the, the tar- toughest part of this tonight was. How do I pick just one? I but, know, but pick, I can't. But, but pick just I mean, one and 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 tell us about it. Well, or maybe it two one, if you can I do mean, it quickly. None of my stories are very glamorous. I mean, like I, I, you know, I we were able to work it out with one of the the fire station people. If we put one of our ham radio operators in their fire station down in uh, Yunkos. Uh, where their search and rescue was out of, then they would uh, give safe harbor to all Red Cross workers, which was pretty pivotal because once that uh, they signed a letter that the Red Cross workers could take or have on their phone so they could show up to any fire station. They had 72 fire stations on the island and they could get a safe place to stay and food and water. And that really was a, a game changer. So then we didn't need to have two man teams. We could just have one man teams. Red Cross didn't just have to do day trips. They could turn into two-day trips. So that was kind of cool, just something as simple as that, giving them one uh, ham radio operator. Tim uh, Maloney, I think, uh, N9RRM, was at that that location and um, was very – did a lot of cool things to help them uh, provide communications between the the fire station down in Yunkos and to the EOC. So, uh, but I mean, some of these guys did some great stuff. I mean, Andy, all the work he did at the dam, uh, Kilo Echo Zero Alpha Yankee Juliet did some amazing stuff there. Um, it's just from clearing an area and spray painting out a helipad, uh, circle, you know, with that H and he even had to do one with like a sideways H or something that means you have to kind of come in at an angle. I don't know. He just, he knows so much and he was able to, uh, treat people with dysentery when a bad a tainted water truck was uh, providing water there and um, he, he I mean he helped Army Corps of Engineers to help uh, keep the dam from uh, breaching uh, so he did a lot of wonderful things I mean so many of these guys just did so many wonderful things outside the scope of ham radio so it was it was pretty cool it was pretty cool and a lot of people truly saved lives I mean this Especially once we moved them into the hospitals, once we were with these FEMA meetings and figured out that these hams needed to be in the hospitals, um, and that sort of changed a lot of the, the mission instead of just doing safe and well. Um, so it was pretty cool. I, it's hard to, like you say, put it down to just one yeah, story. Yeah. So many cool things happened on this. I mean, were there mistakes and were there issues? Of course there were. And that's the thing. When you go into any disaster, nothing's going to go according to plan. And, and that's a, a really important characteristic is to be able to, to change on the fly and adapt and, and put out the fires on a daily basis, you know, and trying yeah. to come up with solutions. So uh, there was a lot of that. 
Absolutely. I, you know, I've, I've worked just tornadoes, which are fairly locally, you know, isolated and, and there's always, <laughs> you know, a, 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 a <clears throat> proverbial fire here and there. And, uh, you got to go put those out and, and, and try to take well, care of those things. And you just, even, you just got to yeah, roll even with on it. A, even on an Aries drill, you know, they're not going to go according to plan. You know, I, from my Aries, you know, nothing oh, goes yeah. according to plan. So, oh, and yeah. that's why you have a lot of those drills to work those kinks out, but we didn't have that luxury. We'd, none of us had ever worked before. This was all put together very quickly because it had to be, they needed us there right away. So, um, yeah, it was, it was pretty amazing. Um, how we really changed a lot of people's mindset on what amateur radio can provide. Um, people just didn't realize how valuable we were until we were there and we got to see it firsthand. How I mean, they just appreciated everything um, those guys that being deployed did, you know, that they were there and we could talk to them. And if they needed to evacuate a patient and wanted to verify it, they could just come over to the radio and we could find out right away. And so that was very cool. Yeah, excellent, excellent work, and uh, we thank you for all that you've done and the team. And and I, my my little story was one of your your colleagues, um, Joe Bassett. Um, normally, we talk to him during school club roundup week from school, and uh, he's usually on the air with a group of kids and and uh, working as many schools as we can. And I happened to catch him on on chat, and uh, and he was just like man, I miss school club roundup, man, I miss school club roundup, but I'm down here in Puerto Rico. And I said, Oh, you, you know, I've been telling the kids about, uh, all of this, you know, at school. I said, you know, is there, is there any way we can work? And he's like, well, yeah, we're kind of winding down. I'm just man on the radio here. You know, uh, we can try it. And we tried once and couldn't, couldn't hear a thing. And then, uh, we tried again, uh, the next day and, uh, you know, the kids were very excited to talk to him, and even though it was just for a minute or two, you know, we were, we were exposing them to, you know, this is this is what you can do with ham radio. And a lot of those kids, you know, weren't, uh, well, all of them this time uh, were not licensed yet. And so they're, um, you know, operating uh, the school station with me and, uh you know, that's uh, an incentive for them to start to um, get involved and, and do some of those things. So it was really cool just to talk to Joe for a couple of minutes. Yeah, I originally met Joe. It's kind of weird. Uh, I was helping doing dispatching for Hurricane Irma. And uh, I put a call out needing some help uh, evacuating an apartment complex that was uh, senior citizens. And there was only one guy there and trying to evacuate them before it flooded. And uh, so he, him and a couple of his guys got in the car and went to go and try and help evacuate this apartment complex. And then, um, you know, that was in Florida, just uh, near uh, Jacksonville. And uh, all of a sudden I'm at the airport and uh, there's Joe and he's like, NV9L, Val, you know. So I got to meet him in person after talking to him on the radio, you know. So that was kind of cool. Yep. Oh, and I see Joe's Good in the guy. chat. Yeah, Joe, Joe, Joe's listening. He says, I'm here. So. <laughs> Hey, so Joe. I see you. Hi, Joe. <laughs> We're He's talking about you. He's probably a better you. one to interview because he was in net control and knows more about a lot that happened. I was I was at the EOC, so I got traffic. You know, I got we got traffic over there of needs and wants from the fire stations or the hospitals from our ham radio operators relaying traffic. But uh, he got to probably 
get more immersed in uh, a lot of the happenings going on there. Yeah. Oh, he says hi, Val. So, yeah, he's in. He's yeah, over the here good in the guy. chat. So, really good yeah, guy. he is. Well, uh, thanks to everyone uh, on the team uh, for for your service and uh, the ones who donated the equipment. I know a lot of that equipment was uh, was donated and just shipped right away and and made it to uh, Atlanta for you guys and and made all these last minute arrangements as much as possible. So, thanks to everyone for pitching in to do that. Uh, some incredible work done there, and uh, you all deserve our, our respect and, and gratitude. It was. Uh, really unique um you know i I don't remember and and i don't think there ever has been a a a deployment like this that was um you know sent somewhere that required you know uh an airplane ride and and all the equipment to be you know boxed up and and sent over and and um organized And, and it was it was something that was really different i mean you know awrl normally isn't doing logistical stuff and they just kind of hopped in and 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 ran with it so yeah uh with all the unknowns and and all the great things you know you did you had an opportunity to learn so why don't you talk a little bit about what you did learn from um doing this effort um you always have something that you can learn and and do better next time and everything so if we do have something like this in the future you know if there is a next time uh what can we take away from this what can we learn well i think the hardest part one of the hardest part is we all none of us knew each other none of us knew who what talents or you know what everybody's best at or you know think different things i think going forward it would be nice to put together some kind of task force or group already pre-trained uh they can do drills and 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 uh beforehand and be ready to go and each one you know would have their roles um so that's a cool thing to have going forward is everybody's trained everybody uh knows each other or or, you know what i mean have worked with each other before so that was a little bit of a learning curve because we're all strangers basically um and you know i I would really like to see fema have some kind of ticketing software that would have been really nice to have um the kits yeah uh the kits i think uh we really needed those uh dual bands with the 50 watts for where we were um the hts were great when you're all the you know in one building together you know close to each other but the i think uh thank god uh red cross happened to have eight uh dual band uh uh, mobile rigs so they could get 50 watt units out uh on location so that was pretty nice they only they they ordered them two to a kit two to a case so when they ordered the antennas, they only ordered four antennas because they saw four cases. So there was only four Megmount antennas. But luckily, FEMA uh, provided the other four. We we did some, you know, uh, networking and found out who to talk to. And uh, Gary, I think, was real instrumental, uh, Gary Sessoms, in getting us four more antennas. Uh, so we we're, had uh, eight dual bands. So that would be nice to include in the kit. Um, <clears throat> so... Um, there's, you know, a couple things like that, you know, there's a lot of tweaking and things that could be done different, but, uh, for the most part, I mean, with what we had and the little amount of time and how quickly this was put together, I think our team did outstanding. They just, uh, they really did wonderful. I I would agree. And, um, 
again, glad that uh, you're able to, to roll with the punches and, and make some of that work. And yeah, when you don't have antennas, you just gotta <laughs> just gotta go with it. But yeah, I, I agree. From what I've been hearing, the um, the mobile rigs would have uh, would have uh, been a big help. And who knows, maybe that might have been a logistical issue because they had to order this stuff bright and early Monday morning, get it overnighted Tuesday, put them all in the kits, ship them out Tuesday. So they're waiting in Atlanta on Wednesday. And it's not like you're ordering three or four. You know, you're ordering 20 of right. them. Yeah. So yeah. It's, you have to go with what they have 20 something of, you know. So uh, 7,300 would have been nice, but I'm sure they probably didn't have that many of that, you know. So they, um, yeah. so you're kind of limited. But if that stuff is all there ready to go for the just in case down the road, then that can be prepared and planned for, you know. Sure. And Joe, Joe mentions here, uh, too, that. Uh, some redundancy in the HF equipment kits would have been helpful. Yeah. Well, yeah. it's nice if everybody's kind of trained on the same equipment. Sure. Is that what he's talking about? Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. And, and but, you know, um, and have, and have some backups. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, when on my day off, when we went out, we went out dropping off radios and, uh, I dropped off groceries as well to some, uh, people in a certain area that were lacking, food and water if you don't have cash you don't have food or water so or you don't have food anyway um so there's a lot of people in definitely needing stuff like that sure sure yeah and we've uh posted a couple of pictures of of, of that happening and i know uh even you know even around here uh when we had uh, some big ice storms down in kentucky a few years ago and you know, all the power's out for a week, and, and it's the same kind of thing. It's mm-hmm. If you don't have cash, you're pretty much out of luck because you, right, you don't have a way no to way. Uh, yeah. run the debit card through. Correct, correct. Cash is king in any times of emergency. And maybe these people pulled out what they had, and maybe they only had, you know, some people might only have $50, $60. Well, that's not going to last you very long down there. So I really feel for the people of Puerto Rico, this is going to be a long time before they're fully recovered down there. And my heart goes out to all of those people. They've really dealt with a lot and still are. Yeah, and that's what we're going to talk about next. But we're going to take a break, and uh, we're going to talk a little bit about that. And then we're going to start taking some of these uh, tweets and chats and calls and and all this. The the board's lighting up already. So uh, we'll Uh. get some of those questions in and be back with Val right after this word from Tower Electronics right here on Ham Talk Live. This episode of Ham Talk Live is brought to you in part by Tower Electronics. Tower Electronics has been the Ham's dime store since 1978. When you need connectors, mobile and handheld antennas, cables, or adapters, visit Scott or Jill at a Ham Fest near you. Or you can order online at pl-259.com or call 920-435-2973. Stock up on those supplies like PL-259 and end connectors, SMA adapters, audio cables, soldering supplies, mobile antennas, and hand Sticks. Their silver-plated end connectors are even used on the International Space Station. Tower Electronics carries MFJ, Comet, Daiwa, OPEC, Workman, and HamPro products. And don't miss their 0% off sale going on now. Tower Electronics, online at pl-259.com. Proud to sponsor this episode of Ham Talk Live. 
This portion of the show sponsored by our mystery sponsor, a product so good they are paying us not to advertise it on this program. You're listening to Ham Talk Live with Neil Rapp. Join the conversation. Call us on voice with Skype at Ham Talk Live or give us a call at 812 Net Ham 1. That's 812 638 4261. Now, here's more Ham Talk Live. Thanks to Scott and Jill at Tower Electronics for sponsoring the show tonight to help bring you Ham Talk Live. This weekend, November 10th and 11th, they're in Montgomery, Alabama at the Ham Fest there. And then uh, the 18th and 19th, they'll be at Fort Wayne, Indiana. And December 1st and 2nd, they'll be down in Ocala, Florida. And December 8th and 9th in Plant City, Florida. And uh, if you're not at one of those ham fests, give them a call at 920-435-2973 or uh, visit their website, pl-259.com. Tell them Ham Talk Live sent you and uh, be good to uh, to catch up with Scott and Jill. So thanks for sponsoring the show and uh, make sure you uh, patronize Tower Electronics. We appreciate their support. Well, it's time for your calls and your questions for Val. The phone number is 812-NET-HAM-1, 812-638-4261. Or you can Skype us or tweet us, and we've even got activity in the chat on Spreaker here tonight. So we'll take some of those. But uh, first off, I want to lead with something uh, about what's going on right now. And I know you don't have a lot of information on this, but... Uh, they still need our help. There's still a lot going on. And as you said, our hearts really go out to them for all the uh, things that they're going to have to work on over the next year or more. Um, so what's going on right now? Um, and what's the immediate future look like for um, communications down there? Well, I still do get the uh, ESTEF 2 uh, uh Task Force Communication Operational Update reports every day. I'm still on their list, so uh, I'm pulling out my uh, current uh, report today. Um, you know, they give you things like th- there's 2,693 cell sites in Puerto Rico. Um, I remember when I first got there, I think only three or 400 were up. Uh, right now, there's 1,500 up, so there's still 1,182 cell sites down, um, so they only have 56% of the sites up. But that's going to be a long time because most of these are in the center of the uh, island, which is very mountainous. And uh, water uh, mudslides took a lot of the roads out. I know they had to airlift a lot of the Air Force guys onto these mountaintops, uh, and they would just camp and stay there, the uh, Air Force tower climbers and uh, clean up the towers and get ready for the ants on a hill uh, operation, which is what they called it when they would go out and uh, put antennas up. But um, So it looks like things are getting a lot better in that department. I know water is going to be an issue for a long time, especially up in the uh, northwest side of the island near uh, by the, the Cuajataca Dam and Cuevardilla, Isabella, and Aguadilla. Um, there's about 350,000 people that are, it's going to be a long time before they have water because their channel was destroyed. And that's a 10, 10 and a half mile channel through really rugged terrain with no roads. Um, that was all just mudslided away. So I know water is going to be an issue for quite some time down there. It just, um, and you know what? And I forgot to thank 
the local hams on the island too. I just really want to give a shout out to those guys. The local guys, even though they were impacted and their families and their homes were impacted, I mean, it looked like a tornado hit that whole island. They were on that, uh, the local repeater every day helping the power grid, the power company bring up the grid. Um, and so they really deserve a big round of applause. So, yeah, that's, I really don't know that much about what's going on now. I haven't really talked to Oscar. I talked to him on his birthday and things were going all right. He misses all of us and wishes we, we were still down there. And uh, I wish I was still down there, and I'm sure a lot of us still do. Um, I thought our activation went way too fast, and it would have been nice to stay at least another week or two. Um, but it is what it is. And um, so they have shares operators, shares radio operators down there right now. And um, I think their activation is probably going to be ending in the next 10 days or so because they sort of came in as we were leaving, and they were going to be active for 30 days. So that's got to be coming up pretty soon. Okay. So we don't know exactly what's uh – What's going to happen after they leave then? Yeah, I'm not sure if they're renewing and bringing in another 30. I, I will try and get on the phone with Oscar and try and get more details. I know he's been very busy. Um, I did just talk to Angel, uh, Angel Vasquez over at, um, he is out at the Arecibo. And uh, he finally has internet on our steady basis. And he said uh, he wanted to make sure I was one of the first ones he emailed. And uh, um, so they're doing well. He said water's still an issue even by them. They're just north of the town of Arecibo, heading up towards the observatory. So um, it's going to be a while before everybody's back to normal there. A, a pretty long time. Yeah, it sure is. So, again, a r- big round of applause, and we'll, we'll play a, a real round of applause here for the, um, the locals over For the locals, yeah. Yeah, great. great job. All right, well, let's see if we can knock out some of these questions here. Uh, we, Like I said, the board's uh, lighting up here tonight, so... Um, I'll quit asking my stuff and, and start looking at these. Uh, David Wilma asks, uh, can you explain the FEMA communications task force you mentioned on uh, Ham Nation a little bit ago? Oh, sure. That was, um, that was put together, you know, I had been working at the EOC probably the third or fourth day into the, uh, our deployment. And, uh, they just put that together. I want to say the first... Let me see. I have all my emails still. Oh, my God. I got so many emails. It was crazy how much paperwork I had to do. Uh, Kickoff meeting follow-up was on September 30th. So that was pretty early on uh, that that started. And uh, it was, you know, it wasn't just FEMA. I mean, the FCC was there, Uh, DOD, uh, National Guard, uh, Secret Service, uh, God, VAs, External Affairs group was there. Um, they sort of handle a lot of things with like health and human services and different things and, and combining efforts so things didn't get done or duplicated. So they were there. Um, God, for MERS. I mean, I, there's so many people in there uh, that it's really hard to remember everybody, but there was all these different groups that had anything to do with communications was in that meeting, at least one person from that group in that meeting. And that's where we kind of hashed out and solved problems with trying to get communications on that island. Because that was the number one thing. I mean, people need food and water, but you need safety. And in order for that, you need communications. It's like communications. You need that before you could get a lot of that other stuff. Um, so especially when we first got there, the you know safety was a big concern. Um, so it's that's pretty much we had that every every day, even on Saturdays and Sundays. No one really took a day off. Everybody pretty much did 12-hour days there. And uh, we'd have that meeting every morning and work on ways to come up with 
and solve these problems. You know, at one point they wanted us, they needed people at the hospitals. That's where we originally got the thing to do the hospitals. And there were 51 operational hospitals, but they didn't know which ones had communications, which ones didn't. So I had to go around to all these different tables till I find someone who could give me a list of hospitals and phone numbers. And I went out on the balcony because I got the best cell service out there. And I just started calling them. If they answered the phone, I hung up, you know, and I was like, okay, we don't need to send AM there. You know, you just got to kind of go with the flow and do what you can to figure things out because it, everything was just happening so fast and, you know, nobody, there was no communication. So that was really, really the, the number one thing that we really had to work on. Yeah. Now David's uh, following up here uh, asking, what did they do? Who do? The, the FEMA task force. Well, we would put together, well, we put together, they put together teams to go out and uh, the, the ants on a hill operation and and then all these different, uh, different people. They, I mean, it was really, what was really hard with a lot of this with these cell sites too. Nobody knows who owns what. And if then you finally figured out who owned that tower, uh, how do you get a hold of them? The phones don't work. Um, So how do you get out there? And, you know, and if the roads aren't working and I mean, there was a lot of obstacles uh, to try and just bring communications to that island. They they handed satellite phones to the hospitals, the mayors, the police. Uh, but that doesn't, who you're going to call, the other person on the other end has to be outside with a clear view of the sky, happen to have the sat phone on, you know. So it's really, and then the satellites were overtaxed because it's not used to having that many people with a satellite phone. I mean, so... It was just coming up with ways to solve problems. So in the meeting, then the one guy says, well, I, I know who to call to get to move in more satellites over Puerto Rico. So they actually moved more satellites over Puerto Rico. So the satellites weren't always busy. You know, it was just stuff like that constantly. There was always obstacles. I mean, when you finally do get to these sites, you don't know which generator goes to which cell site or generators they go and fuel them up and then someone steal the fuel or steal the generator. Um, so, I mean, there was always... Every day, there was just so much to take care of and so many problems to solve, and it was just never-ending. And, and Joe throws uh-huh. in FBI. Yeah, they were in there, too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you so name it. They're everywhere. The, yeah. And then the second floor of the thing was where the Prima was, which was the Puerto Rico version of, of FEMA, and Health and Human Services was down there, and that's where the Puerto Rican government officials, but we were up on the third floor, and, uh, and uh, we did have uh, a Prima official in there as well. Um, so yeah, it was well represented by anybody in the communication business. Boy, I learned a lot about a lot of things in that meeting and dealing yeah. with those people, even when the meetings were over trying to solve problems. So, yeah. And Dr. Scott Wright, K0MD says, thank you for your service. So he wanted me to pass that along. He's, uh, oh, yeah. he's off in some country doing training right now. So he, uh, he said it was like 3 a.m. Well, so. Well, he thank you, Scott. Live. <laughs> thank you, Dr. Uh, Scott. Let's see. Um, Marty, KC1CWF, asks about uh, lugging the equipment around. Was that a problem? Was it heavy? Were there issues with that? Well, it was a, a Pelican case on wheels with a handle, so it was like a, a extra large, double large suitcase. Uh, and they were, gosh... I remember looking at the scale when we had to put them on. I'm trying to remember how much they were, maybe 60 pounds. Oh, gosh, I don't remember. But we really didn't have to lift them. They were on wheels, and you just lug them around. So that was fine. Okay. And Carl, KD9HQT, says, have you had any antennas during 
uh, emergency communications where they go down like um, I know Carl's upset today. His mast fell while he was working on oh, it and broke sorry, his antenna. Uh, but and of course, uh, it can't happen in the summer. It's got oh, of course, cold out. Of course. So, did you have any backup way to make just a quick dipole or or anything like that? Or well, uh, I personally wasn't deployed. I was at that uh, convention center. So, I mean, at one point we had to move our antenna. We moved it from one end of the convention center to the other, but, uh, I'm really not a good person to ask on that. Uh, and I really didn't, uh, handle the net control. So I didn't hear a lot. I only got the traffic that pertained to people needing things from FEMA. If they needed uh, fuel or airlift or, you know, they needed, uh, oxygen tanks or, you know, pharma, any kind of meds. Um, so that's mostly what I dealt with at my end. Net control really probably got, would have been more in the know on that. I and was speaking really of net of control. He says 56 pounds. Is that what it was? 56 yeah. pounds. Okay. Yeah. So and it's not that bad, you know, so we can all pretty much lift 50 pounds. So even yeah. me, <laughs> uh david wilma again uh asks uh, would you improve screening for volunteers well see that's a hard thing i mean how do you know how to screen i mean it would be nice if there was a lot of aries training and and things like that and that's why i think putting together a team beforehand you know i mean fema does this they have People already trained, ready to go. They get uh, put on call when a hurricane's coming. So they're all packed, ready to go if they need to be uh, down there right away. Um, so I think going forward, that's definitely something the ARRL should look into. Or It doesn't even have to be really ARRL. It could be the ARIES group puts that together, which is a part of ARRL. But, you know, somebody put together some kind of task force and they can uh, – do drills and practice and, you know, be ready to go. And um, I think definitely that's going to be a huge thing for them to look at. And we should have, we should have just got Joe on the line here. He He's also saying yeah, we had to beg, yeah. borrow, um, and whatever. Uh, oh, yeah. Backup equipment. From a lot so. of it, yeah. Including yeah. antennas. Everything, everything, all our kits, yeah, people robbed from this kit to take for this kit. And, and luckily, you know. So, but, uh, you know, we ended up being on the air, so that was the important thing and making it work. And that's what hams do. Yep. You know? That's the name of the game is, is making it work. And, uh, they're all MacGyver. Like I said, yeah, you never know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Got MacGyver coming in here and, uh, and making something out of nothing. And, uh, that's, uh, and, and, that's exactly and you know what? what we have to do sometimes. That really impressed a lot of the other people. These guys were out there fixing generators or air conditioners or doing stuff, you know, that had nothing to do with ham radio. I know many times I did many things that had nothing to do with ham radio. So, um, and that's what makes, I think, our group so special. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I like the idea of maybe have a pool of people trained, you know, yeah. especially for that. So that way you can... You know, take whoever is available at the time and and have uh, a little more training on that. So, good lessons learned from all of this, and great work. And and Val, our our time is up, but I I want to oh, thank you so much for fast. coming on. Yeah, it does. It goes by. It goes by quick. Uh, thank you for taking uh, all the questions, and uh, thanks for coming on. And uh, look forward to uh, seeing you here in a few months, and uh, we'll be talking to you. All right, thank you. 
All right. Thanks so much. And and, and hi to uh, and hi to mom and dad there for Thanksgiving too. Okay, so we'll, yeah. we'll say hi to them. All right. Well, that's a wrap for this week's edition of Ham Talk Live. I'd like to thank my guest, Val Hotsfeld, NV9L, and everyone out there in cyberspace for uh, chiming in online this evening. Great to have all of your questions. And uh, come back next Thursday night at 9 p.m. Eastern Time. We're going to talk to Scott Avery, W-A-6-L-I-E. He'll be here to talk about remote hams. So uh, a way for you to get on the air when uh, putting up an antenna and a rig uh, may not be possible. Uh, for a list of all of our upcoming guests, be sure to visit hamtalklive.com and click on the schedule link. Uh, for now, this is Neil Rapp, WB9VPG, saying 7375, and may the good DX be yours. Thank you.